the Animation Happy Hour. A podcast where we talk about breaking into the animation industry over a couple of drinks. All opinions and views expressed in this podcast are solely our own and are not representative of the companies for whom we work. My name is Ben. I'm Katie. And I'm Garrett. And we're all currently animators at Disney. That's right. And today we are drinking some very special cocktails. Uh, the first yes. one comes to us from a listener at Ali Lupa like that clever name it's like alley-oop if you don't know basketball (laughs) it didn't even occur (laughs) or i hope that's what it's a reference to and uh, this person i don't i was about to say she but i realized that they might not be named Allie. anyway the drink is a mai tai down very very clever name which you'll see why in a little bit when we announce the episode subject (laughs) and title and the other a uh, very clever drink name, which we got from two different listeners, uh, is called the Stop Mojito. And that Ooh. comes to us from at Kalos2 and at DCeballos95, which might be a yeah. birth year, I'm guessing. <laughs> but, Are they old enough to drink? <laughs> well, uh, I know, Ooh. I have to do the math very quickly. <laughs> but um, yeah. That's right. So today we are so excited because we're taking a little break from the world of CG animation and we are focusing on all things stop motion. We're focusing on a day in the life of a stop motion animator. And we'll be discussing uh, kind of what an average day looks like for them, uh, touch on the different types of jobs you can have within the stop motion industry, and then discuss some strategies for how best to prepare yourself for a career in the stop motion industry. And as we discuss these things, we'll be working in some specific questions from our listeners. So a big thank you to all of you who responded to our most recent call for questions on Instagram. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Without any further ado, I would like to introduce our very, very special guest for today. A big animation happy hour welcome to Dan McKenzie. Welcome, Dan. Dan is an incredible two-time Emmy Award-winning, four-time Annie-nominated stop-motion animator who is currently working at Leica. Though he's a staff animator at Leica right now, he has enjoyed a wonderfully successful and varied career working at a number of different companies and has even directed some of his own projects. Dan, thank you so much for joining us, and we would love to begin by helping our listeners get to know you a little bit better. So here's the, the ever open-ended question. Tell us about yourself. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you you covered the top points for sure. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I'm a stop-motion animator. Um, I've bounced around between uh, L.A. and Portland, Oregon. I started animating when I was in high school as a hobby, and then went to SCAD, the Savannah College of Art and Design in Savannah, Georgia, for my undergrad. Is that how you guys met? Uh, you, you, Katie and Ben and you guys? No. That's actually a good question. <laughs> yeah, that is a great one. Um, yeah, we met. So I was working at, um, like at the time on Kubo, and um, there was like an animation club at SCAD reached out, and I did like a talk with them, or like a, kind of an interview um over skype mm-hmm. and um yeah right after that meeting uh <laughs> katie katie was the first person to email me and had and introduced herself and said she enjoyed the interview and had some questions for me and showed her work and uh oh, yeah nice. it was a great intro and so yeah we started chatting then 
Yeah, Dan was amazing, and he was one of the rare animators who actually gets back to you when you email them (laughs) out of the blue. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so Dan helped put my work in front of some of the animators at Leica, and that Mm -hmm. directly helped me get the internship that summer. Um, And similar to Ben, I think you reached out independently right after I heard back from you. We were like, oh, this guy's like great. He actually responds. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so then I reached out independently. I was like, "Hey, Mr. McKenzie, would you look at my reel too?" And <laughs> yeah, it was super nice. And yeah, I'm sure we were like, "Mr. McKenzie." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was an honor to be emailing with you right now. Yeah, because definitely in that SCAD interview, I made sure everyone would only refer to me as Mr. McKenzie. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So take but note yeah. if you want to reach out to Dan. Dan. Yeah. Um, yeah. But really yes. responds well to yeah. And I remember Ben when we first chatted and I, I looked at your work and I saw I recognized some of your artwork and you were like, oh, yeah, I started following on on Instagram and I, I, <laughs> I saw some of your illustration artwork and on there. And I remember I like recognized it when you showed me your work. I forgot about that. Yeah. And then I think we had like a few emails back and forth. And then I finally revealed that Katie and I had been working together the whole time. The whole time. And we're actually, yeah, dating at the time. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, likewise for me, Dan sent my stuff, I think, to the one of the facial animation supervisors Mm -hmm. and kind of helped me get a foot in the door. That was my first animation internship. So I I certainly owe him a lot. Yeah. Um, well, I don't mean to say yes, you owe me a lot. (laughs) 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 But I just, I also remember coming out when, uh, SCAD flew me and a couple other animators out to, to Savannah to screen the box trolls. Um, and we hung out, um, that weekend and I think you, Ben, your interview at like it was either the day before or the day after it was like right around oh, wow. there for yeah, your internship. Right. And I remember like just kind of that being a, a, a interesting <laughs> timing. In, yeah, yeah, you're right. And That's I think so Katie, funny. you had like just heard that you were getting, I think the, you're like, right. Internship. So yeah. yeah, it was, it was super cool. Fun timing. Yeah. And then, yeah, we, we were like super starstruck getting for to a night on the town. Dan. It was yeah. fun. <laughs> we took it, it him super to cool. a haunted our, house. Yeah. So we yeah. went to a haunted house and we got late night McDonald's and our friendship was born. That's right. <laughs> <Indeed>. <laughs> we treated him to the finest chicken the nuggets in all of Savannah. Six years. Yes. I think we've mm-hmm. known each other six years. Oh, wow. So, yes, that was a very long intro. You all know a lot about us now, but. <laughs> Um, I think we would also love to ask you, Dan, more specifically, like, uh, what sorts of projects have you worked on? Like, what are some of the big titles uh, or brands that folks would recognize? Or little titles, too. Yeah, I'd or little titles. You don't have to run through everything if you don't want. But yeah, just kind of a, a grab bag yeah, of some the, of the yeah, stuff highlights, I guess. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I started as an intern on Robot Chicken um, just before my so senior cool. year at school. Uh, and then... After graduation, I did a test at Leica while they were getting ready to do, or they had started shooting Paranorman, and I did an animation test there. And then while I was waiting to hear their verdict, I animated in LA on another Adult Swim show called Frankenhall. Oh, And yeah. then, <laughs> yeah, not Frank and Weenie, strangely at the same time, <laughs> they were both shooting. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but then I was hired as an assistant on Paranorman and began my journey bouncing between LA and Portland, Oregon for the next eight years. Wow. Wow. Mm, and wow. then, yeah, in that time, I worked on Anomalisa, The Box Trolls, Supermansion, Kubo, Tumbleleaf, and Cosmos. And wow. wow. That's quite the portfolio of work. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's so a cool. good variety, too, which is something I've yeah. enjoyed. Very it's not all one style. So did they, did they fly you out there at Leica for a test and then, like, fly you back? for? They did. I don't know that if that's bad. something they do all the time but um <laughs> yeah but yeah they had a recruiter come and they were just looking for a cg interns at the time but i re- i met with the recruiter and showed her my work and i had some clips of my senior film and my internship at robot chicken where i did do some shots and so my reel was had some production work which was helpful and brad schiff uh who's the head of animation at like uh, saw it and sent me an email and oh, I remember, That's yeah, like awesome. thinking it was spam at first. It was just like out of the blue, just an email just straight from the head of animation at Leica. And I didn't believe wow. it at first. And uh, Damn. That's how I felt about your email, Dan. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Katie actually deleted the email she had from Brad Schiff and just focused on the one. That's awesome. And I remember too, like, we always tell our listeners to stalk animators and like follow their work. (laughs) And I, and I feel like you were probably, I know that sounds creepy, but you were probably the first (laughs) animator that I really like had researched and like looked up and you were awesome because you were one of the rare people who kind of left the paper trail of your reels online. So I could kind of see how your work and skills developed with each project. And like you had, you had like a, I don't know, like a different reel every year and had kept that on your profile. Mm-hmm. So it was helpful to me as a student seeing like that progression and realizing like, okay, like you can build your skill set and get better over time. And um, yeah, it's awesome. So thank yeah, you for that. Of course. <laughs> yeah, it is. Even for me, it's fun looking back and kind of seeing, you could see between the years of like where big growth happened. I have to ask, you worked on Tumbleleaf, right? Yeah, I was on Tumbleleaf for from season two through the end. So season four, so two and a half seasons. Oh, dang. You might have um, had some overlap with uh, Isabel, my, my girlfriend. She was a story artist on Tumbleleaf. Oh, really? Two, But she, she said she didn't have a much like interaction with the animators because I guess the story artists were like in this like one room that was like the only <laughs> air conditioned room in the whole oh. studio. And then like the animators yes. had to like work with, was it like really hot or something? Yeah. Um, it, apparently once I joined, they got the AC like working overtime, like oh, a nice. couple months after I started. So I got like a sense of it, but they had already done like a season and a half of oh just gosh. like in like, because it was in Sun Valleys, which is even like north oh of Burbank. Gosh. Wow. And, oh, oh my gosh. And yeah, so I got a taste of the high heat, but um, <laughs> luckily they, they fixed it by the time I was really settling in there. Wow. That's the animation so is beautiful on that show. I mean, everything yes. about that show is just like yeah. so cool. Yeah. 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 I was really proud to work on that. Um, yeah. Especially like, for a preschool show, it's so much more beautiful in every way than it needs to be. But yeah. now as like a new parent, I definitely appreciate that of just like, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. 
So Dan, I would love to hear a little more about kind of how you first got into animation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just started as a hobby in high school. I got some clay and a webcam and uh, just after school, late nights, weekends, I would just like make little clay creatures crawling around in my parents' basement. And uh, <laughs> so cool. yeah. It was just, yeah, just uh, some online videos I watched and it looked like something I could try at home because I already had like a little webcam in clay and um, yeah, started, uh, I joined a couple animation forums online to learn some of the basics like animateclay.com and stopmotionanimation.com, which are still around. Oh, wow. Yeah. And yeah, found kind of like a cool community that was also kind of just like at least uh, even just from a fan perspective like into just online like brick films was one of them which is like lego movies and Um, and just playmation and um this guy Knox he made like little blue simple cake clay characters that were just like comedic shorts and (laughs) um basically yeah i started making shorts and to put on to like new newgrounds.com and youtube oh no way yeah and uh, then I showed a couple in high school for like the talent shows, like when everyone was doing like live performance stuff. I like <laughs> the nerdy guy wheeled out like the projector. And <laughs> That's awesome. That yeah. is it. That's so endearing. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of like the after intermission part. So I had time to set up. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, film festivals after that, I was able to like get one of my shorts, Winter Attack in a film festival in Chicago when I was like a senior in high school. That's awesome. And so, yeah, my like mom, grandma and friend, like we just like flew out to Chicago and went to the Chicago international real shorts festival. Oh my gosh. Nice. And yeah, it was that both the talent show and watching, watching that um, same film in the Chicago festival, kind of both of those together solidified my like i don't know my view of this being a possible career for me mm-hmm. yeah um, without totally knowing how it would happen but just knowing sure. that i wanted to pursue it basically yeah um, that's awesome yeah the talent show was like oh people who knew me but they really enjoyed it and then the chicago one was like people who didn't even know the creator of this was in attendance and so in yeah. hearing positive reactions during it like yeah really Aww. yeah was, yeah, was awesome. exciting. And yeah. you thought, gosh, if I'm already getting into film festivals, by the time I'm in my early 30s, I'll probably have four Annie nominations. <laughs> Annie, right? like that. <laughs> that was always part of my 10-year plan. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Dan, I have gosh. to ask, do you, have you watched Parks and Rec? Yes. At all? Have yes. you been compared to Ben Wyatt at all in that one scene? Like, goes, <laughs> like the stop motion thing? Yeah, I I haven't been necessarily compared to him, but a lot of people send it to me. They're like, "Oh, you'd appreciate this," (laughs) (laughs) and it's pretty accurate. It's very good. Just like he spends—I forget what if it's weeks—like working on that. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, "I thought I animated so much more. (laughs) (laughs) Could a depressed person make this?" (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's great. Amazing. You mentioned you went to SCAD, so I mm-hmm. gather like you decided to go to art school, and where was your family supportive of that decision? And that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. So thankfully, yes, my both my parents were very supportive, and I like 
yeah, it's something I didn't realize at the time was so crucial and helpful. Um, mm-hmm. But they were like, they saw, they saw that this was kind of a true passion of mine and not yeah. just like a side, like, part, like, I don't know, hobby for a period of time. It right, was definitely right. something like deeper in me. And so they fully supported yeah. it. They, when they saw I was getting serious, they helped me purchase a computer for some of these early shorts. And so, that's awesome. yeah, I had full support of my family, which, which was vital for sure. Yeah. That's yeah. so cool. Thank you, Mr. and Mrs. McKenzie. Yes, <laughs> All right, so let's start with the absolute basics here. Dan, what is a stop motion animator? Can you explain like we're five years old? <laughs> yeah, a stop motion animator is basically someone who poses a very expensive action figure. And then takes takes a photo of it and then poses it again, moving parts of it in whatever direction they want them to travel and then take another photo. Mm -hmm. And then you flip between all the photos and it creates the illusion of movement, Um, makes it look like the action figure is coming alive. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's 12 individual pictures per one second of footage for TV shows and Mm. 24 picture individual pictures for features. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's a great distinction. Yeah. That's awesome. So what, like, what would you say the average day of a stop motion animator is like? And can you sort of talk us through the life of a, an individual shot or a group of shots from, you know, launch with a director through completion? Yeah. So for, um, it's probably simplest through when um, you're animating on a TV show. And so you enter a shooting stage, which is usually a 10 foot by 10 foot curtained off area that has the set, the camera, the computer. um, And it's essentially like our version of a cubicle. (laughs) And so you're kind of there for either just a scene or just a shot. But um, you basically, you, you receive the puppets you put them on little stands so they can just kind of stand straight up so they can be placed in in the set. And then the director comes in and gives you direction on stage so they can kind of see what the camera sees and they direct you on set and we can kind of position the characters so we kind oh, of know cool. the staging. Yeah. That is super cool. Yeah, and then once once they give direction, then we're kind of left alone for a bit to tie the puppets down, um, put the like get them into essentially kind of the first frame mm-hmm. that would be um, for the shot. And then we get last looks from all the other departments. So once it's kind of like ready to shoot, your characters are in their first frame. Um, set department will come in, make sure that everything's kind of glued down so you don't bump mm-hmm. anything. Because mm-hmm. that's the yeah, that's a big thing with stop motion is like <laughs> it it all, everything needs to be secured down to the set, mm. both the puppet and every art piece and yeah, everything yeah that you don't want like a slight like arm graze to topple over. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, puppets comes, looks, makes sure, cleans the puppet, make like wipes it down, make sure it like looks pristine. Um, and lighting comes, make sure the lighting's right. And if there's any camera move or lighting um, effect, they make sure that's like programmed in. Wow. And then, then you're launched, and then everyone leaves 
and it's just you in the curtained cubicle, <laughs> essentially. And wow. then, yeah, it's just you and the puppets. And yeah. you animate for however long the shot is. Um, a lot of times in TV, it's like you're kind of in there for a day or two for a shot. But mm-hmm. um, it can be longer and it can be shorter. It could be a couple hours. Depend- total depends. Totally. But that's the time that's probably the most, I don't know, relaxing and like the most pressure at the same yeah. time. It seems like <laughs> such a short amount of time, a day or two. for a It whole- depends. Yeah. Cause a lot of shots are like, I forget. I mean, Tumbleleaf is different cause most of the shots on Tumbleleaf are longer, mm-hmm. but something like super mansion or robot chicken, there's a lot of short um, shots uh, that are maybe three seconds, three to f- 10 seconds. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what they'd expect you to get in a day anyway. And so, yeah, if you're doing a three-second shot, you should be able to do two in a day with the turnaround time. So, gotcha. yeah, sometimes it's just like, you, you're like, okay, I'm going to try to finish the shot by lunch, and then they can reset me and do another one after. Wow. Oh, nice. Wow. But, yeah, then there's some shots, like on you know, Tumbleleaf or at Leica, where it's like, no, you're launched, and you are hot on that set for a month. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> wow that's awesome and that's, that's when you so get in a crazy. real groove because you just like walk into the work and you just know you're just in the zone all day dang wow, wow. Yeah. that's so cool <laughs> wow yeah wow. and so then after that you finish the shot whether it's four hours or a month <laughs> <laughs> you finish a shot then you call for the director for approval the director comes in um, at least for TV, the director comes in and, w- and w- approves it on stage. But for okay. features, it's submitted and they can review it in the theater and put it into the cut before they approve it. Mm. Um, cool. Wow. Yeah. So it's like a little bit more waiting time for feature where you're kind of just like, is it approved? Is it approved? <laughs> um, and then you get a call over the walkie or somebody comes to you and lets you know it is approved. Um, then you pull puppets for a clean plate. So that way, if there's any rigs for the characters or props, they have a nice clean background. And some productions do this first as well. Gotcha. Um, Yeah. Because as we animate, we drill holes in the set for each like character footstep. And so they kind of want a clean, a clean photo of the background in the accurate lighting so they can paint out any rigs. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. That's very smart. So cool. (laughs) Yeah. So could you tell me, how does that work with, um, do you ever in 2D, like do, if you're under such a tight constraint of like, okay, you have a half a day to do this shot. Do you do like, if it's on twos or whatever, do you do a blocking pass and stuff traditionally? Or is it more like just go for it? Hopefully, you know, you know what, what to do. By default, there's no block, at least on TV. Like, gotcha. okay. there are, there's plenty of times it is a, like a special circumstance. It's a little more complicated okay. or you got to like time it out and there is time for that. But it's by, but I would say most shots are just, you get direction, you talk it through and you go. Oh my <laughs> gosh. So that's where you definitely need to gain the director's trust there. Because like, yeah. If they kind of know you understand the way they're describing things, you can, uh, yeah, you can turn in a shot that is kind of close to what they had in mind. But it does make it sometimes more stressful. And even just from the other perspective, like I've directed um, my own uh, shorts and um, projects for um, like Disney, the Star Wars toy series. (laughs) 
And that's awesome. <laughs> that I got to see the other end of like, oh, that's very stressful when you don't you don't already approve a block. And so you direct somebody and they just are producing the shot and it's never wow. exactly the way you envision. And so yeah. I've been able to appreciate both sides of that where Yeah. So is that also the case in the feature world that you would just kind of go for it and there's no blocking or or do you have a chance to do it for, you know, like when you're working for Leica? Um, yeah, for features, there's always a block or rehearse. So you definitely get the direction essentially before you yeah, block it or rehearse it. Um, usually I'd say, yeah, the most complicated shots, they'll have you block it, which is kind of on fours or just the main poses. Then you okay. get re-reviewed and get direction again to make sure if there's any changes then you go do a rehearse which is essentially the shot on twos so every other frame and then you get it reviewed again and then you're launched on what they call the hero pass and that's the one that's for like a shot in stereo everything's final checked like that's the one that will be seen in the movie um, wow. So by that point, you've you've done it at least once all the way through. So you have that as a reference point and you have gotcha. like labs and video reference to look at. But um, you kind of know where you're going by that point. Gotcha. So that's a, kind of a big difference between TV and feature. Wow. wow. So this will be a recurring theme in this episode, I'm sure. But I just want to say, I feel like such a wimp talking to a stop motion animator <laughs> from the CG side of stuff, because we're so like iterative. And like, yeah, if I want to like change a hand pose or something, I'll just do it on like one frame. And then I might send right. it to my soup and be like, what do you think of this? hand?" You know, like, mm-hmm. I'm always there's so few times if ever that it's like, okay, this is it. You just have to produce now for the next multiple days or hours or weeks, you know? Um, And for those who, who didn't, maybe this flew by you, but Dana said he does a blocking pass, a pass on twos and a pass on ones. Those are totally separate passes. So if he has like a 400 frame shot, that means he's doing it three separate (laughs) times all the way through. Mm. There's no like, Oh, you use what you did on twos Mm. to now do it on one. So yeah, yeah, you're completely starting from frame one again. Impressive. Yeah. 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 That's incredible. I have to ask, because I know like CG animators wonder this all the time about stop motion. Do things just ever go wrong? Like does, does the puppet break or do you get a note really late or like, what do you do and how do you navigate those situations? Yeah, it's definitely very common, both feature and TV, where something something breaks, something goes wrong during a shot, um, and there's different levels of severity with that. But mm-hmm. there's been some shots I've done where a puppet broke in the middle of a shot. Like with TV, a lot of times they're wire armatures. Right, and so the yeah. wire like always will break someday. Like mm-hmm. it's not built to last forever. So you could be in the middle of a shot. And sometimes you can get through the shot with just like maybe add a little bit of wire behind the arm that broke wow. just to get finish the shot. Um, gotcha. Or sometimes it's a you pause, you take it, you you tell puppets it is a hot, it's a hot puppet, which means don't move anything that you don't have to, and they can repair <laughs> just that portion if there's just the elbow or something, and then you bring it back wow. in, and the shot stays hot, and you like repose the puppet and move to the next frame wow and so it's just kind of like a moment that like you pause everything and it feels like like 
operation the game where it's like everything is <laughs> yeah. like you don't want to touch anything i was just gonna say i'm sure it to. feels like you're in like open heart surgery and you're like oh, we gotta stop and like yeah. go yeah. do this a lot lower thing. stakes like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah also wow. i think hot puppet is my new favorite term. I know. I love <laughs> like, that we term. should be drinking hot puppets right now fireball in there <laughs> yeah, yeah. <that's> right. <laughs> wow so, so yeah, like on a so. on a similar vein, like just talking about production, do you guys go through crunch periods and like do you have to do overtime or does it like yeah, does production ebb and flow or is it fairly consistent? There's a, a wide range. Um mm-hmm. so yeah, starting on a production, if you're one of the earlier animators there, there's a lot of testing initially. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, which is which is a fun period to be in where it, you're more exploring and figuring out kind of how the puppets move and maybe give notes before they finish the final puppets. Oh, um, awesome. Yeah. And yeah. And then even when you start shooting early in the schedule, the there is a quota for a production that you're trying to hit no matter what, mm-hmm. but it it's generally in the beginning of production, you're not behind yet. And it's more <laughs> as you go through production, you become more and more behind schedule. And sure. so <laughs> usually the last few months of a production whether it's a tv or feature it becomes very intense and there the deadline is still the deadline generally and yeah there's the hours get later and um sometimes depends on the studio depends on the job but yeah sometimes there's overtime sometimes you're you're you have a day rate and it takes as long as it takes so it wow. can it can depend from like commercials to TV to features, but definitely Makes the last sense. few months is is crunch time and it's <laughs> very intense and stressful. But uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there is it is definitely. But on the the whole of the production, there's like kind of like it starts calmer and then picks up and then gets really intense at the end. So yeah. Yeah, that seems fairly universal. Right. Yeah, I think that's just yeah. like any production in media, basically. Yeah, live oh, action yeah. too. Totally makes for sense. sure. I'm really interested. Quick follow up question: You talked about possibly giving notes on the puppet before they're finalized. Could you talk any more about like kind of common notes that you feel are given, or are they so unique to every production that it's hard to say? Mm. Yeah. So a lot of time, to- like a lot of TVs. To TV productions, there's not much like the animation director will be the one who kind of gives most of the notes more before the animator really gets started. But at on features, a lot of times there's as they're building a puppet, they give the just the armature itself to an animator to test before they put oh, on yeah. kind of the body of it. Um, and then and they can test be it like before. like a ball and socket? Sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, so it's something they could like adjust. So it's a ball and socket armature that they mm-hmm. probably designed specifically for that puppet. So it's, it's, it's not generic at all. It is very much like specific for the puppet and they want to make very sure cool. it can do what the animators want. And so you can kind of send back notes and they will tweak it, but then, and then put, get the body on it. And sometimes before the costume, you can test it again. If there's any notes, like you just need to adjust like the density of like the silicone or, oh, oh, you just need to like make sure it can bend. You know, this character has to do this sort of pose. So you want to make sure it can do that Mm -hmm. beforehand. And then it gets goes through. So a lot of times you have like a couple times where 
the anim- animation director or occasionally the animators can give some notes to make sure it's going to achieve when it's finished gotcha. the poses you need. That's super interesting. It's interesting because it's probably similar to CG in the way that like the design influences the rig so much. Like if if mm-hmm. a if a character in stop motion I imagine is like poorly designed, I would it would probably be really tough to like like you just did that arm pose where you're putting your you know, your hand behind your head and your, like, elbows up. Like, that stuff happens in CG, too, where, like, oh, the arms are too stubby to do that, so we need to, like, scale it down. (laughs) And if it's, you have to, like, tweak the design. So I imagine there's, like, a back and forth um, a lot with, like, design. Yeah. Yeah. And then with, yeah, TV, a lot of times it's, like, oh, between, like, on season one of this show, it was designed a certain way that was very difficult for the animators, but they still had to do the whole season with it. And so season two, they'll readdress the puppet and do some changes so you still yeah you a lot of it is you still kind of work with what you have but um then when there's a new season or like a a big changeover you can kind of address those things then but it's rarely like a middle of this middle of the project adjustment Mm, gotcha that's fair so this is a this next question is a little tough, and I know we talked a little bit about it um, in terms of like you know what your deadlines might be for a shot, and you had mentioned it could be like three hours or like a month, you know, depending on the <laughs> shot. But I guess um, for like student stop motion animators uh, out there, like is there a kind of baseline gauge of like what they should be hitting? Like in other words, like you might be expected in to do like two seconds of animation in a week or, you know, something like that. I don't know if that even applies, but. Totally. Yeah. And there's a big range in Mm -hmm. in the stop motion world, but the kind of rough average is for TV animation where you're doing 12 frames, 12 pictures per second. um, It's eight seconds a day that they expect you to do. And that's, and that's generally if you're launched early in the morning and you have, the day to do it okay. um, gotcha. and so to break that down that's essentially a second an hour if if mm-hmm. if you have like the full day um and then for feature it's more like one to two seconds a day when okay. you're caught gotcha. on your like hero pass but at that um, on a production like that you're also there's the block time and rehearse time and that doesn't necessarily count to footage for the movie um, right. But in terms right. of when you're launched on the hero and you're animating all day, one to two seconds for a feature, which is on ones, or eight seconds for TV, gotcha. which is on twos. That's and super it can totally depend on the project. Some projects are yeah. trying to get 11 seconds a day. And some projects, like, like, like Robot Chickens, like 10 or 11 seconds a day is their goal. You can't always hit it. But something like sure. Cosmos, which was like a TV special, mm-hmm. it was we were going for five seconds a day. Mm. Wow. So gotcha. that was kind of it's like a nice balance. Um, yeah. 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 That's super cool. Yeah. That is so interesting. Yeah. Every project kind of has its own quota that they're going for. And I imagine that varies like with any animated medium where if you have a shot with 10 characters, that's going to take yes. you longer than a shot, which is one character chest up or something like that. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there's definitely there's times where, yeah, when you're kind of launched on a shot or after during direction or right after direction, you can talk to production and kind of give a sense okay. of like, Oh, this one 
for this reason and this reason will take likely take longer. And you can kind of, depending on the project, you, it, you could have like a frames per day average you're okay. estimating mm. for this shot. And then they Makes can just sense. do the math and be like, okay, we're budgeting 2.5 days for this shot. Mm-hmm. So if you can get it Thursday by lunch, we're good. And so you kind wow. of know that going into it and you can almost budget on your X sheet kind of like, okay, I'm by, by Wednesday end of day, I want to be on frame 125. Mm-hmm. And okay. like, you kind of like can mark that in, in the X sheet. Gotcha. That's very good. Another example of how <laughs> I said, that's very good. I meant very cool. That sounds like <laughs> very British of you to say. <laughs> very good. Oh, very good. Very good. Um, <laughs> What I did just there like was not a British accent, but um, <laughs> I don't know what it was. But um, it's kind of a recurring theme. We talk a lot about just being successful in the industry in general. It's such a huge part of it is being a good communicator. Yeah. So it seems right there. I love that that just organically came up because I, yeah. I think speaking for myself, entering the industry, I kind of thought there would be like this really set in stone scientific formula for like every single shot, every single project you're ever (laughs) on. And that's just not the case. A lot of times it's kind of changing on the fly. And like you said, you have to just kind of say, Hey, because of X, Y, and Z, I kind of anticipate this. And yeah. yeah. And that's like the, yeah, every production, every movie, every show has different shots that are like a medium kind of a medium or close up with just talking is going to take a different amount of time than like, a bunch of characters on screen dancing and yeah. <laughs> or something with a camera move will add more time. Something right, with more yeah. practical effects will add more time. So there's, it's something that just not every shot is created equal. And so they have these budgeted quotas that are kind of the, for the average shot. So some, mm-hmm. if it's, it is just like on robot chicken, a quick shot or like a, a shot of just, a character delivering a line and it's just for comedic purposes, they'll kind of ask you to do a little bit more than quota because it's more just hitting certain comedic beats rather than Mm. producing like super smooth and subtle performance. Mm. So it's just a, yeah, can be a wide range and it's like, yeah, shot specific. Wow. Awesome. That is super interesting. So our next question comes from at Zara jumps. It's a great one. Thank you, Zara. Um, she was wondering, is stop motion animation always straight ahead? Like, can you describe the workflow for it? Yeah. Um, essentially, yes, it is. The final pass is always the first frame is frame one. Then you do everything in that frame and then touch frame two and frame three. And then all the way through, um, the somewhat different thing that can happen is sometimes there's multiple passes. If there's background characters that maybe you can't reach or, um, yeah. So something to make it sometimes just like, yeah, like in the moment you focus on the main purpose of the shot and then you can do extra elements after. So that's occasionally happens, but usually, um, at least, yeah, on TV, it's it's everything is generally shot together all at once. But you have the block beforehand for features or for complicated TV shots that you can kind of make sure you kind of know the timings of generally all the performance points. Or And also you have the dialogue is usually a very good... Uh, the dialogue is usually a very good, like, timed out... Um, aspect of the shot so you know like oh yeah frame 100 
on like frame 100, this line starts, then the shot ends at frame 125. And yeah, so the dialogue is always a good guide. But even on a show like, yeah, Tumbleleaf, those shots, if there's not specific dialogue, they can grow um, to be a lot longer as long as, yeah, you're achieving what the action that you want is. Oh, that's Um, interesting. But yeah, so yeah, it's like there's pre-planning, but sometimes that pre-planning isn't a full-on block. It's more just like you timing it out in the X sheet or you're filming a video reference. Um, Mm -hmm. Gotcha. But it's, yeah. Yeah, but when you do the hero pass, it is from frame one to the last frame. Gosh, that's cool. That you... that. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh, sorry. We I all think have all fun. of us. Yeah. <laughs> one one time. Time. You guys go. <laughs> I, w- I do want to ask more about like the X sheets because we don't always have that in CG. So when you're lost in a shot, do you receive an X sheet with like the dialogue timed out kind of traditionally? Yeah, usually it's it's in Dragon. Within Dragon, there can be somebody who like times times out the dialogue in a file format and you can import it into dragon and see it on the side of your program. And then you can add your own notes and draw on it within the program. And that becomes, that's like my most used method, but some people do still prefer the physical paper. um, And then you can like, like with a pencil, like draw notes on it Mm -hmm. and like, circle frame numbers and stuff like that. But um, most of the time I use it within Dragon and there's a, gotcha. a it's a pretty like full X sheet um, and you That's can add great. notes. Dragon and... is Dragon Frame. Is that the software? Yes. Yes. Nice. I do. I think I bring it up later, but yeah, yeah that, sorry. Yeah. That's actually, actually my next question. That's like the next question. question. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, wanna, perfect segue. Garrett, also remember your, the other question Yeah, I was you gonna going to say, do you guys have right. your follow-ups before yeah. I right. go into the next? Uh, Garrett, I was just interested because you mentioned video reference and I, I you know, I, so is that like an integral part of your workflow or thumbnails or, or I guess mm-hmm. I'm curious about that? Yeah, especially at Leica, video reference is essential um, because so much of Leica style is naturalism and they want mm-hmm. to, they want it to look like true muscle is moving the body parts. It's not a marionette. Um, the stu- there, yeah, it, it's a true kind of muscular system moving everything, and the dialogue you kind of can the performance is a, somewhat also something they can approve beforehand as well, so they can mm. kind of approve how you deliver a certain line physically that the the voice actor did, and so they kind of another way they can know what to expect. So do you ever show your video reference to a director or suit? Often, yeah. At Leica, they they require it now. Oh, um, wow. Which is something That's that really it's like developed over time. It was a helpful thing in the beginning. Then a like very helpful thing that... And then it became something that, yeah, is something that can be approved beforehand. So you can do a couple takes of it. And they wow. can approve which take they prefer the most. So you give them kind of different options of the way to physically deliver the line because you're kind of like yeah, wow. with the dialogue already done, you're just doing kind of the physical performance. And gotcha. at like a, the facial animation, which is a big difference there, the facial animation is done by a different animator. So mm. the mouth, the mouth and brows is 
animated already. So you have that as a reference as well. So you know when you do your lav, the live action video reference, you kind of know what like notes to hit. Wow. Uh, that's an interesting oh. distinction, actually. Yeah, the because so the, this facial animation is done by a, a different animator. Do you guys like collaborate on that or how does that? Yeah, work? so so generally you have like a, a scene launch in the facial animator and, and you kind of hear the same direction for the scene and you can kind of do a lav with or for the facial animator so they kind of have an idea what oh, yeah. you're thinking already. But a lot of times... Like, there are plenty of times that it's like, oh, the stop motion animator doesn't even see the facial animation until you're directed for the shot, and this wow. is it. And so you can you can control slightly, like, kind of when you swap faces here and there, but it is generally planned out, and, mm. yeah, you still move the eyes and eyelids, but your the, the mouth, nose, and brows is kind of already printed out and polished and sanded and... Wow. Like a physical thing you're swapping. So, so it is it is very strange because, yes, we have it like a certain shot in our demo reel, but it's not a, 100% of that character. It is, mm. it is the body performance, the eye performance, and you are still choosing when to put the face on, but mm. the actual like movement of the eyebrows and mouth to the dialogue is done by a different animator in a totally different method done in CG first. Mm. Which That's Ben did as his intern. Exactly. That's right. Hey. <laughs> yeah. I had On many. Box if you watch, if you watch, uh, it was Kubo actually. It was Kubo. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. So I was yes. going to say, no, it's okay. But if, if there's a shot where Kubo's like three miles away <laughs> and he has like a little bit of a smile on his face and is not talking, there's a very good chance that I animated that shot. Oh, actually, <laughs> I think I can remember a very specific example of a poster where Kubo's looking in the giant eye underwater and Kubo's like teeny tiny. <laughs> yeah. Ben did that face. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> and there's like Good a ninety percent chance that another animator animated a shot around there, and I just took a face that they used. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to say that. That can be part of the job, though. It's like that's an effective way to get a good that's face. That's right. I, yeah. I very, you know, efficiently identified who that good animator was and used their work. So, you know, I'm proud of myself. <laughs> um, that actually does remind me on when I was an assistant on Paranorman, I was yeah fresh out of school. And they needed somebody to pose the first teaser poster. And it was basically just Norman, the puppet of Norman facing a green screen. So they had the background separately. And it was just the back of his head just looking. And so I just found it so funny. I was like, why are they trusting me with this? And then I get there and it's literally just him facing forward. You're just a photo (laughs) of the back of his head. But I like took it so seriously. I was like, okay, yeah. So he's looking right here. He's looking uh, just a little above the horizon. Okay. And and then yeah, the first teaser poster, I was at the time so proud of it. I was like, I posed that poster, but it was really just like... Just a Love. photo of the back of the puppet. Like, That's so <laughs> funny. My first though. shot was the back of Elsa's head, like an over-the-shoulder shot. <laughs> That's great, yeah. though. That's yeah. Awesome. yeah. Yeah, those back-of-the-head shots, they're an important step. It's <laughs> yeah, it's a good starter. <laughs> yeah. I had a, a really quick kind of silly question when we were talking about the um, – animating straight ahead and how the final pass is always like, yeah, straight ahead basically on, on ones. And, um, 
I was wondering if over the course of animating a shot, let's say it's 10 seconds, it's like 240 frames. Do you find there are different sections in the shot where you're more or less nervous? Like within the first <laughs> 10 frames, you're like, oh, I haven't really committed to this yet. It's not a big deal. Or like in the last 20, you're like, oh my God, I might ruin the whole thing right. now. Or how? how it's, that no, for me, the first frame is the most stressful. Because oh, really? that's the first time it's like, you're like posing. You could always, you could always improve a frame, it feels like. But there's a point where, like, gotcha. you have it and you just have to start. And uh, capturing that first frame is, like, the starter's pistol and you're going. Okay. And that the stress that comes right before that and with that capture is intense. And, yeah, so <laughs> it's, it's that first frame. And then frames, like, two through 20 are generally, like, okay, you're you're going. It's it's happening. But, um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, it's I just like I, I'm consciously aware that first frame is the one that's like, yeah, like I said, the starter's pistol that is the most stressful. And then it all depends on the shot. If it's like a comedic moment, you want to hit that right or an important piece of dialogue you want to kind of nail. But for the yeah, the most part, it's you get in the groove somewhere in the middle of the shot. But it's the beginning that I always get most stressed at. Wow, oh, that's really interesting. It's cool to hear. Yeah. Like, not that you're stressed. I don't want you to ever be stressed. Yeah. But it's very interesting. From I love that you're stressed. <laughs> yeah. But it's also interesting because, like, you cut like the next day. If you, you got a hot a hot set, so it means it's you're in the middle of a shot set. overnight. Hot puppet. Hot yeah. Body. Hot yeah. set. Hot puppet. Hot. You're coming in. Hot yeah. pocket. Hot pockets. <laughs> yeah. For lunch. So stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but you come in the next day, and you can kind of like it's almost. It's less stressful the next day because, yes, it is the first shot of that day, but you know exactly where you've been. But you can kind of reevaluate. And sometimes sometimes I look at with a kind of somewhat fresh eyes everything up to that point. And sometimes I'll, you know what, I can uh, improve the most recent frame before I move on to the next one. It's like, oh, I can tweak this and this because you have fresh eyes, which can be helpful. And, yes, then it's like you're not cutting back to an earlier frame, you're just like improving that one frame before you move on. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Um, you mentioned Jagged Frame earlier, and I wanted to touch on that. And also just sort of what sorts of softwares are you using on a day-to-day basis? And can you kind of talk about like just the, the nitty gritty craft of mm-hmm. animating and like using rigging tools or, like specific rigging setups for special shots, stuff like that. Um, And I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I remember like when I was a stop motion animator, I would flick frames like crazy, like between, you know, the last few frames and just making sure everything was flowing. And can you talk about, yeah, just your, your very nitty gritty process. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah, for animation program, dragon frame is the industry standard. And I'm, yeah, happy with like and lucky the time I kind of got into the industry because mm. while I was a student, Dragon Frame was was out and I was starting to learn on that. But at, in my class, we were using Stop Motion Pro, which is what Ardmin uses used at the time. Mm. Um, but I like having been with Dragon since early on and using it, like seeing that program evolve with the industry. Because the yeah the Cleary brothers who developed that are awesome and and meet with the different studios, 
and yeah like like improve it based on what the productions need and so yeah dragon frame is yeah the industry standard and it's yeah not too expensive two hundred dollars for a student three hundred i think otherwise Mm -hmm. um but yeah that's that's the number one across the board program for a stop motion animator Mm -hmm. and yeah essentially it acts as the bridge between the camera and the computer Um, capturing and storing the frames and allowing us to play back our shots. Yeah. Do you use like, I remember there was like onion skinning and ghosting and stuff like that. Are there any, that's something that a lot of people get very excited about early on, but I (laughs) almost never use onion skinning. Wow. It's definitely like, I find it, it's kind of like in a, in a fade you don't see the differences. It's literally like blending the differences, but in a flip okay. between like previous frame to current frame, you see exactly what's changing. And oh, I yeah. find that personally more helpful than sure. like a kind of blend where you think it stops here and then it's starting here. That's um, really interesting. But it is something Dragon Frame has and some people do like it. But I do remember that seemed like a very important thing. But once I actually started animating, I didn't use it. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for more kind of like yeah, some of the tools we use, IMAX for the computers is the norm. Um, Canon DSLRs, oftentimes with Nikon lenses, so they okay. they separate. They don't communicate with each other, so nothing. There's no auto setting on the cameras. Mm-hmm. We have like a tray or an animation animator cart of different tools, like like such as like drills, vacuums, tweezers, wax, tie downs, oh, wow. mouth replacements, etc. And those are kind of our day-to-day like toolbox essentially. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, rigging is usually provided for any time a character jumps or would not have a frame or would have a frame where it's not in direct contact with the ground. Mm. Um, and so that's something usually there's like a kit you can kind of put together a rig for yourself or there's a rigging team that you communicate kind of what you're going for, or even the director beforehand lets them know, and they can set up kind of a, a rig for you even before you get launched on a shot. Wow. And then you can adjust on the fly. But um, that's, that's usually, that's a interesting part that varies between productions, but is very important. Yeah. Anytime a character is doing anything, but just standing. <laughs> sure. Sometimes they, will make a character a different scale just for a certain close-up. Oh, like, mm. even on Kubo, there's a, a shot of his, like, tear running down, and they made, like, a three-times scale RP face and then had, like, a practical tear, like, run down oh, his wow. face. But yeah. because they knew the camera would be so close and they wanted more detail. So, yeah, there's there's plenty of times where a specific mm. shot calls out for a unique either puppet or set piece or whatnot so cool awesome that motion is so cool as i hear this i'm just like i love like the practicalness of like like the yeah. real things you're interacting with and like the practical tears that's so cool yeah I it's know. something it's the part that i find most satisfying is because I, I want like if i see a puppet i want to just like physically i grab it and move it into the pose i want like that's in my head <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's something that is very different in cg where yeah. You are using like like a keyboard and mouse, which you can still obviously achieve. You can put it in whatever pose you want, but I, it's a 
feels like a more direct connection, I guess, because it's literally just you reach out and grab it and push it into a pose. Um, totally. And it's just yeah. something that just is more immediately satisfying to me. Yeah. Um, and also I'm bad at CG. That's part of it, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'd be great. But that that totally makes sense. Yeah, that's really yeah. cool to hear. So the next question kind of concerns um, what the normal growth of an animator is like, like from intern to a staff animator to a lead or head of animation. I know that can be kind of a nebulous, you know, thing to convey and cover. But if you could speak at all to that, I think we would love to hear. Yeah. I mean, a big part is kind of what kind of shots you're trusted with. So an intern would definitely get like background characters or a simple shot. Um, maybe just like a hand putting a prop down or picking something up. And then it's kind of like, yeah, the type of shots you're cast for will vary on. Yeah. Like depending on if they give it to the interns, the assistant animators, the, the general staff animators, leads, whatnot. And so there's kind of, yeah, there's kind of a, a, a difficulty level that is associated with each Kind of job title, even. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and the way you kind of could move up is gaining trust. Is if you do good simple shots, you can get trusted with some more complex shots. And mm-hmm. you do, yeah, you listen to the direction and then sometimes they'll like, oh, we don't have a huge ton of time. We don't have a ton of time to direct on this shot. So we kind of trust you to here's the general for these next three shots I'm directing you in because you're going to just be launched and do all three of these at once. And then it's basically yeah, the amount of trust they give you. And if you prove yourself on that stage, then if there's a position that's opened up, they kind of know, they know what you can do and they would probably like oftentimes rather hire from within than get somebody from the outside. If it's, especially if it's within like the same project like the next season of robot chicken or whatnot okay yeah um, that totally makes sense yeah and then another thing is for like animation director that can change between projects and studios so that's yeah like someone who's just a co-animator with you on a project that at stupid buddies will turn out to be the animation director at VixPix and you go there. And so you're working Mm -hmm. under that person or sometimes it can flip flop where then after that, then at Starburns, you're the animation director and that person's an animator. And so it's Mm -hmm. something that's an interesting part of the like stop motion community is that you do kind of slightly swap roles here and there. And Mm -hmm. it's, you're not always like, the i don't know the the big fish um (laughs) in the pond and and kind of knowing what you're contributing to the project and what you're hired for um because yeah it's not something like oh now i'm now i'm directing this spot and now i'm a director forever and it's like no you're you're a director for this for this project and then Mm -hmm. the next project it's kind of a reevaluation or yeah, you're hired for a different role. I feel like that's cool because it probably keeps you on your toes in terms of your skill level. Like you're not always going, to, I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming animation directors in stop motion probably animate as well, but it's probably more, maybe super, actually that is interesting. Do they animate or is it more supervising? <laughs> I'm curious. It, it, it's both. Um, 
So it depends. Like it's when I was, I was animation supervisor on Cosmos, which was um, a two month project. So, which is pretty short. And we did a, about a 20 minute stop motion segment for the show Cosmos. And I was animation supervisor and we had a team of like seven other animators, but I was also animating Mm. during that. Mm -hmm. So that was like, of course, a little extra stressful yeah, because I was responsible for like the same quota everyone else was doing. But also my job was kind of to work with the director to make sure everyone's on style and Mm. I'm in there for direction. So I can be the person they call if they have a question in the middle of a shot. So we don't have to bother the director each time. So I'm like a second set of ears. But also, like, a lot of my day is still just animating as well. But there are projects where the animation director doesn't animate at all. And they're just bouncing between helping the other animators stay on style and answer questions and be in meetings for the next setup. Um so yeah, it, it can totally vary depending on the scale of the project. Gotcha. That's gotcha. really cool. I want to ask one more like nitty gritty, but kind of fun question, which I apologize is not on the script, <laughs> but it's off the cuff, um, but it should be pretty straightforward to answer. Like what is going on in your head when you're animating? Like, do you listen to music? Do you have like a systems checklist before you decide to move on to the next yeah. frame? Like what's happening? That's a great question. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I know there's that like Richard Williams, like never listen to music. Like how <laughs> could you concentrate? But like, I love music while I'm animating, like uh-huh. Spotify premium, yeah, like discover too. weekly. Let's do it. Um, and then if it's an action shot, or something without dialogue, I like podcasts as well. Mm. But when there is dialogue, I oftentimes can't do the podcast situation, and it's usually just music. Um, sure. But yeah, so I yeah, you kind of get can get into the zone, and I like yeah having it. It is a nice time to if you're in the zone, having an extra bit of yeah music or a podcast or something in the background is nice. But sometimes I am just like clicking play and it plays the last 24 frames and that little bit of dialogue over and over and over. And sometimes Uh that's what I need (laughs) to really like stay in it. Um, But for your question of like moving on to the next frame, it's really just a visual scan of everything on screen because you do have to like anything you want to move, you do have to physically touch it and you kind of do the core of the body first and kind of rough it in. And then you're tweaking the fingers, then you're going to look through and tweak the hair and you make sure everything is like from big to small um, animated the way you want. And so then you do kind of just like it's kind of a you playback, 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 like looking at different (laughs) points of the screen. And then once you feel good about it, you click capture and then move on to the next. But uh, yeah, it's just like wow. just just a, like looking at different points of the screen and different points of the puppet to make sure you've you're happy with ev- where everything has landed. That is super awesome. cool. If this is a super quick follow up because I know we need to move on, but I'm just very curious <laughs> if you realize too late that you like didn't move like a little element. Can you like 
Photoshop it like like frame by frame? Is that a thing <laughs> in the industry? I'm so yes. curious. So if there's something as you, yeah, you need to go back and, and tweak something, you can do another pass mm. where you're like, okay, I'm going to reshoot frame 400 to 450 because I stopped spinning this thing that's spinning in the background. Mm. I don't know, like something like that. Mm. And it's like, okay, that's, you'd call it like a new element and you could do just that section that you tweak. But generally, like the goal is still it's baked within, but there are instances where it's like, oh, I forgot this. Or if there's like a character with a scarf moving and like you didn't move it for a couple frames, you can tweak just that element. But usually you are hopefully noticed something you missed within a couple frames mm. and then you can make the call of like oh okay i'm just gonna cut back three frames and we'll be good here on out so yeah the goal is you, you notice it sooner rather than later but there are there are fixes they're like if something's going to be distracting they're not just going to be like well that's in the movie now <laughs> <laughs> yeah like they will still like in some way address it and okay. find a way to fix it but um and 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 an option is reshooting the shot, and they they can budget that into the into the calendar mm-hmm. or into the like big boards and figure out if it's worth it or not. But yeah. So Dan, we wanted to ask you what other jobs exist in the stop motion industry besides a stop motion animator. Yeah, so this is probably not a complete list, but uh, there's production designer, art director carpenter set builder model maker armature fabricator puppet fabricator editor costume fabricator production coordinator facial animator animation assistant stop motion animator animation director director um and there's yeah there can be more within each faction as well like puppet fabricator at leica there's actually separately the costume there's the silicone like experts there's some mold makers there's yeah there's a lot of sections that depending on the production um yeah have different expertise one additional thing i wanted to mention is there is a difference between animation assistant and assistant animator some studios kind of use them interchangeably but the main difference is an animation assistant is assisting the animation team so they're keeping the supplies organized, helping animators with what they need. But um, they do do some tests and shots, but that's not their primary job. Whereas assistant animator is someone animating every day, doing tests for the project or tests to train up in the style and eventually getting shots and getting trust. So that is something that um, it's kind of like in between the intern and animator roles. But uh, they are kind of different jobs with a similar trajectory. It sounds like, or correct me if I'm wrong, is it a pretty like small industry in the sense that you know a lot of the people kind of rotating around? Yeah. So yeah, definitely that's a big part of, yeah, stop motion is a very small, small section within a small industry. And so many projects start with the kind of animation director or director kind of talking with somebody that's just that's higher up in the project and being like who do you know that you'd want on this and 
there's a lot of times where before they put out a call for resumes, they'll just off the cuff ask the animation director who they want in the project. And it's not necessarily even an application process. It's just, hey, reach out to these people. We I liked working with them. Or you get, a even as an animator, when they're hiring more, sometimes we get questions like, hey, what do you think of so-and-so's work? Mm. Um, or so-and-so, like, how are they to work with? And so there's a lot of kind of who you know situations and and who you've worked with. And yeah, it's something that you do want to be very aware of because <laughs> who you maybe didn't get along with on one project is actually poten- your potential boss for the next one. Mm. So mm. it is something where yeah you you want to stay kind of on good terms with everybody <laughs> for sure Work well with others yes <laughs> so our next question is a very important one um how does someone interested in stop motion get started um and basically i'll, I'll kind of extrapolate on this and, and say kind of a big important sub question to that is um is the traditional school route the best or are there other options yeah. Um, regarding schools, I would just say do it on your own before spending a hundred thousand dollars on a school. Like, <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. Someone can be an exaggeration, but it can be very true yeah. as well. Is is yeah. find out if it is a true passion of yours before putting that much money in money and time into it. Mm-hmm. Um, That's great. So yeah, like it is something that you can start on your own to find out if it really yeah, like ignites a spark in you or, mm-hmm. and then like you can find out early on, Oh, this isn't for me as opposed to two years into school, you really realize that and you, it can like, be a lot harder to switch gears at that point. That is a great point you make about, you know, being able to kind of experiment with it on your own before making such a huge mm-hmm. commitment as going to like a full undergrad program for it or something. Um, we had a lot of great questions that are kind of related to um, getting started on your own. So a couple in particular, I'm going to call out and these are from our listeners um, from at Anim Libs and also at Sam K tunes. Thank you both for <laughs> these questions. Um, but there were multiple where basically I'll just kind of ask you generally, do you have many suggestions for beginners to learn the basics on their own um, and like how you might do an at-home setup and then also how you might do like kind of a beginner pupper, puppet, <laughs> pupper, pupper. Uh, <laughs> by yourself. Hot yeah. pupper. Um, hot pupper. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my big, my big starting point is just play with it first. Um, it should be something that, yeah, like you are excited to do, you have fun with. So just play, practice the basics, ease in, ease out, bouncing ball, all that is something, yeah, in stop motion, it applies to every shot you will do after that. So mm-hmm. yeah, no need to get complicated right away. And no need to spend much money right away as well. Mm-hmm. A webcam clay or just whatever items are on your desk and a simple program program nowadays, which are like apps on your phone or iPad. But yeah. um, it feels funny to say, but back in my day, 
I used <laughs> this free pencil test program that was developed for um, like 2D animation, but it was essentially just hooked up to a webcam or at that time a mini DV camcorder hooked oh, up to wow, my computer, yeah. and it was called Monkey Jam. And it essentially, <laughs> yeah, like it was just an easy like capture capture a frame and it could play it back at a certain frame rate. And then I assembled the shots in Windows Movie Maker, which just came with my PC. And um, I'd say, like, you could even start, like, animating toys before you, like, Mm -hmm. spend a lot of money or time building puppets. You can, like, practice with toys because something like Robot Chicken is glorified toys that you're using. (laughs) And sometimes literal toys that they just, like, add some wire to. And like and mouth replacements, right? Yeah, I love yeah. That. And usually those are stickers. You get little stickers. <laughs> awesome. There's just different size stickers depending on the size of the toy. But yeah, they're just little stickers you <laughs> pop on. That's um, so cool. Yeah. So and yeah, use hot glue or sticky wax on their feet if you don't want to do the full drilling a hole. Put a threaded okay. rod through the foot. Tie downs. You can get away with a lot. Um, that's that's cheaper and also ways to teach you that there's not one way to do something and mm-hmm. kind of I don't know figuring out how to do it with just what's at hand is wow a yeah. job like benefit that like uh, or a skill benefit that jobs will kind of want from you especially in TV where it's like yeah like well we have this this and this like try to achieve what you're going for that makes sense because it's not always a time where they can make a perfectly custom puppet or perfect this or that um uh-huh. basically i just want to stress you don't need to spend a boatload of money right away <laughs> you can <laughs> fall under yeah. that like it's same with like movies too like like live action you can buy a three thousand dollar camera but that doesn't necessarily teach you everything like whether or not you're making a good film or not like Mm-hmm. You could get totally. the Canon 5D Mark, whatever they're at right now, but you could also get the simple Canon Rebel that's, I don't know, a tenth of the price and still make movies with it or shoot yeah. tests. And so, yeah, just you don't need the most expensive stuff that studios buy. Um, mm-hmm. like I, even I for lighting, that. too. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I love that. And I feel like stop motion in particular is, I feel like it's one of the first exposures like young people might have to animation. Like I, I taught this, I was not qualified, <laughs> but I taught this like <laughs> stop motion, like camp for, for kids at some point Ooh. in like a middle school. I don't, it was like when I was in college, but I feel like, like you said, like anyone can kind of like, you know, have like an iPhone and like a tripod and just like get an app and you know, do a pixelation or, or something. You don't totally. need like a full rig or whatever. And I, I don't know. I think that's something that's really cool is the, um, the accessibility to it seems yeah. really, really uh, like anyone. It's very accessible as opposed to like, I guess CG, you have to like learn the, you know, Maya, you have to learn mm-hmm. this stuff or with 2d, mm-hmm. you have to like know how to draw. And I think it's really cool about the medium. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's a way, like a reason a lot of people do, get into it to start with and then Mm -hmm. not everyone continues with it but it is a way to at least like understand and appreciate it quickly yeah 
Yeah. That's, yeah, totally my own story too, where I started with it because I, yeah, I didn't know how to draw. I didn't, I didn't know CG obviously or the software. So it was so much easier to set up a camera and just start animating objects. Like I, I think my first animation I did like a, I used a paper cutout puppet Mm. that I made it was like a little hinge paper cutout. And then I also animated like my desk lamp because mm-hmm. it had like nice hinges that could kind of hold themselves like the like Pixar lamp yeah. kind of thing. And um, yeah, anything that could kind of hold itself, its shape, I would animate. So and that's perfect. Is, and even for yeah. lighting, that's good too. Like that lamp <laughs> for the next shot you do, you could just like have it pose exactly where you want it to light whatever you're working yeah, on. Yeah, very true. Yeah, you don't have to get fancy lights <laughs> or anything. And um, yeah, I remember doing cheats too. Like you could buy very expensive curtains or you could, mm. what I did was like buy um, contract trash bags, mm-hmm. like contractor, like construction uh, trash bags and tape them over the window. Totally. Yes. <laughs> yeah, to block out all the extra light and that kind of thing. So there definitely are ways to save money (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah like my senior film at school i used my bed frame as like the main table and just like put like the set on top of it and yeah there's there's definitely ways especially early on that yeah you don't you you don't need to become your own studio like proper studio to to do this (laughs) and um yeah the other thing i would say is just the internet is your friend there's a lot of people online that have this even just as a hobby and a passion that want to share this information and you can learn a lot online with um different sites and forums and uh, i know stupid buddy sometimes stupid buddy studios who does robot chicken and other shows they sometimes have classes or tutorials um animateplay.com and stopmotionanimation.com i remember helping me early on um Mm -hmm. there's a lot of just yeah people online that um, are passionate about this and want to share it. And it's a very kind of like open community. This segues well into the next question, actually, which is sort of about, okay, you've you've done your work at home and now maybe you have a reel and you want to start applying around and maybe you don't have a network yet and you don't know anybody. Do you have tips for kind of navigating the industry as a newcomer and trying to break in? Yeah. I mean, honestly... I'll- kind of the way you did it is a great <laughs> way. And that's kind of what I did as well is mm-hmm. just a cold email. In your case, it wasn't a cold email, but like just like in emailing people that you re- like like their work or respect their work. And it's basically so much of this industry is knowing somebody who knows somebody who works at that company and mm-hmm. can help kind of get your work in or get an email for you to send your reel to. Um but yeah, it's basically doing your own research. A lot of company websites have a contact email. You can mm-hmm. don't don't feel like you have to see a, a job posting to send your work. You can mm-hmm. send a studio your work and like it'll get filed away somewhere and then they can look like, oh, we need a stop motion animator or we need a puppet fabricator. Somebody emailed last month with that and let's take a look at their work. That's a great tip. So yeah, it's basically don't wait for somebody to ask for it. You can Mm -hmm. share your work kind of directly and reach out to people. 
not everyone will respond, but it is, <laughs> it is something that um, is an important way to make connections in the industry and um, kind of, it is a way to get your foot in the door. Mm-hmm. In a, in a similar vein, uh, we had a question that was um, kind of asking, what do recruiters most like to see in a stop motion reel? Or like what sort of shots might stand out? Uh, shout out to at Elif Antastic. So thank you for that question. <laughs> great question. Great name too. Great name. Great question. <laughs> um, I would say the number one is good physics and weight. Of like mm. just general like true like physics in the world and weight and balance and yeah control of a character um, yeah and yeah Definitely. control of the puppet is is a big one to make it look like you're not just pushing it through positions like it is everything's moving with intention mm. so those are probably the biggest to where it's like you are you have a firm grasp of like your hands on a puppet. It, you can make it do what you're intending. And then there's of course character performance and acting. But I would say, yeah, like physics and weight is something that can throw off a reel right away mm. that, to, to, or control of a puppet where it's like, if it's bouncing around and they're not really mm. following the arcs or, or keeping the tracking of like easing in and easing out. Um, mm. It can basically really like be a red flag right away. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. That's a great answer. I, I think um, what really speaks to me about that too is that I, I think, especially as a student, there's you might feel this pressure to be like, oh, I have to do this thing that's like super unique and original and like really like cerebral and like you know <laughs> that the recruiter has never seen before. And like, that's, that's awesome to be thinking that way, but it sounds like, you know, ultimately the basics believability is like the most important thing because a lot of times mm-hmm. you, you know, just watch an animated movie, 90% of it are characters walking around and talking mm-hmm. to each other, mm-hmm. you know, and doing simple things really, really well. So mm-hmm. that's, that's super interesting to hear. I'll ask this question because I know it's something I used to wonder when I was trying to break in. Do studios care about seeing things like rigs in in shots or like facial animation and like, yeah, do those things matter at all <laughs> or how beautiful the puppet is? <laughs> no. Yeah, I'd say it depends. Like they will care about the specific job they're looking to hire you for. Mm-hmm. They're they they can ignore other things. I would say like yeah, if the audio's cranked up too loud or there's crazy music, they might just mute it. <laughs> um, but like they there can you don't worry about the rig in there. If you're just looking to be a character animator, it's fine that the rig is in there. There cuz mm-hmm. they can that's what how they approve shots in a production anyway. They don't mm-hmm. wait till it's perfectly polished to say if mm-hmm. it's good animation or not. So yeah, um, focus on the part of the job you like, the job you want to be hired for, and that's the part you want to have impress them. And everything mm-hmm. else, I think, generally they can forgive because that's not what they want you for on the job. Totally. Uh, so the next question is from at Sanjo Maz, S A N J O M A Z. Not sure exactly how to pronounce it, but I like it. 
Um, we touched on this a little bit, just kind of here and there with different studio studios you've worked for and such, but could you kind of go through and are there many big US studios uh, for stop motion aside from Leica or Netflix or, or what was this? They said, oh, they also asked, how is Netflix changing the game if Netflix is mm-hmm. in fact changing the game? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's a, a good amount of studios. Um, in LA, there's probably more smaller studios and then big ones in Portland right now. Um, mm. But in LA, there's Starburns, Stupid Buddy Studios, Bix Picks, Screen Novelties. Um, and then there's commercial studios that will do like some stop motion projects, some other projects. But um, for series, those are kind of the main ones. And then uh, Netflix started two projects in Portland, Oregon recently for Wendell and Wild and Pinocchio. And um, then Leica is up here as well. So it's kind of cool to see up here in Oregon that there's more projects happening up here as well. Because yeah. there's also the yeah, Bent Image Lab and uh, Shadow Machine is up here as well. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, there's there's a good amount of stop motion studios that have different specialties and different types of projects they work on. Um, yeah. That's all you know, super valuable information. And, you know, while you were talking about all the different studios that are out there and they kind of have different specialties. I I think it kind of connects with this question as well, which is um, could you talk a little bit about the realities of freelance or short-term gigs and kind of how one navigates all of that on top of navigating the normal everyday stuff of like, Oh, did you know, a lot of people get their health insurance through work, but what does that mean if I'm working for four different companies in a year? Yeah, it is definitely a, difficult part of this industry because mm-hmm. yeah you're hired for a project but it's four months and then you don't necessarily have something lined up afterwards so you might have a couple months of downtime in between and it, it is it can be a difficult part but it is a reality where part of your job especially nearing the end of a project is lining up your next gig mm-hmm. and um i definitely lucked out for a good stretch of time of kind of when one's winding down, something else is gearing up and you're talking with that company um, while you're winding down and you have like an estimated end date and you can Mm -hmm. kind of talk about when you could join there or a project Mm -hmm. wants you to stay for the next, the studio wants you to stay for the next project, but you're talking with another studio. And so that's when ideally Mm -hmm. you're kind of, you're kind of, um, your own manager in that sense of (laughs) um, making sure you have the next gig lined up because we are hired oftentimes as like an actor would be for, Mm. for a show. And once that show's over, that's the end of your contract. Mm. Um, And so some studios do have health insurance while you're on it, but again, that's for that four month gig. And then you can, you can pay for that at full price afterwards, but usually that's not a plan that you could plan to afford um, at mm-hmm. full price. And it's definitely mm-hmm. a difficult and not fun part of mm-hmm. the industry. Mm-hmm. And something that I'm now currently very much appreciating being staff animator at Leica mm-hmm. it is consistency is important, especially now that yeah, I have a 10 month old daughter and mm-hmm. that is stability is something that I 
really realize I need now for mm-hmm. the job, but that is something that is not there right away. Um, or, sure. or you can't necessarily plan for it period. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. it is a, it, it is definitely a, a true, uh, difficult aspect of the industry. Yeah. Makes sense. That that can go for yeah all of the mediums. Yeah, that's well. honestly like animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which we've or film too, because like yeah, even like costume department on a live action shoot like would be hired for that sitcom or something. And, right, and right. Not always, not always a company employee. Mm-hmm. And it can sure. be feast or yeah. famine too. It's like you're employed. Right. A ton of work's happening for this period of like three four months, and then. You know, there's like a six month dry spell, and it's it's tough mm-hmm. to yeah. learn to manage that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This next question, it's kind of a two parter. It's generally just about working internationally, and whether that covers like folks from outside the U.S. who want to work in the U.S. and also U.S. <laughs> citizens who want to work abroad. Do you have any advice navigating that? I, I, it seems like your career has mostly been in the U.S., but maybe you have coworkers who have come from abroad or mm-hmm. have worked at Ardman or something like that. Yeah, um, definitely my big point is just even if you don't think it's possible, you're like, oh, they're in another country. That project's in another country. I can't even bother. It's like reach out anyway. You never mm-hmm. know what's possible. Um, like right now there's like a lot of projects happening and they really want a lot of stop motion animators, but Mm. yeah, like, so yeah, they're looking outside of the country as well. But now because of COVID that there are a lot more restrictions on that. And so it is something it's still, even if you don't think it's likely or possible, it's still always worth reaching out and kind of sharing your reel or your work. And, Mm -hmm. um, if it's not that project, at least that someone knows of you for future something, or mm-hmm. if they, another studio reaches out to that person, it's like, do you have any, do you know any animators that are free right now? They might be okay. like, Oh, I don't, but I actually just got this email from this person. Here's their info. Um, it's gotcha. basically, yeah, just that even if it doesn't seem possible, it's, it's worth a shot. Um mm-hmm. Because it, it is something, it is tricky because there are work visas required. It, it d- does complicate things and cost more money, whether for the studio or for you. But mm-hmm. it is it is a route some studios are willing to go for, like paying for a visa for a project if, mm-hmm. if, if they deem it necessary. So next we wanted to ask, uh, is it possible to work in multiple mediums? Uh, for example, could you be a CG and stop motion animator or a stop motion and 2D animator? Um, and kind of bounce back and forth, like take a three month gig as a 2D animator and then four month as stop motion, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think it's a smart way to keep yourself employed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah. Some stop motion animators do VFX animation as well. Oh, okay. um, like I know some people at Tumbleleaf actually even like started in VFX and then learned stop motion and then became good at that and then they can kind of flip back and forth because they're usually not overlapping each other too much those Mm -hmm. parts of the pipeline and so that is i think a smart way to have a longer term gig on a project um yeah and then yeah like i have a friend that does cg facial animation but also stop motion so sometimes they get to animate the faces that they 
did Ooh, in CG cool. in stop motion yeah. as well. So they do get wow. to claim the full performance. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So it is something both um, that can be helpful for your yeah longevity with a studio and keeping you employed, and also just like when there is a dry spell of one of your skill sets, you can mm-hmm. lean on your other one um, mm. for work. <clears throat> yeah. Um, another point of that is I'd say there's different styles even. Like, I'm just a stop-motion animator, but the style for a TV show is so different from a feature that yeah. it is almost... It, it, it is a different job. It's a different mm. skill set that they're looking for. And that's something mm. that I found very important early on for me to um, do is like learn both and be able to kind of switch gears in my head to know that there's different goals for a TV show versus a feature and being able to learn the skill set for both of those allowed me to bounce back and forth because mm. it wasn't something where it's like, Oh, now I learned was on Paranorman and now I only work on features because that's not how it works. And mm. the ability to bounce back and forth allowed me to stay employed for a long period of time. I think part of that is because stop motion is a smaller sect of animation and so yeah. it's kind of like by necessity you need to be able to do both and be willing to swap between them because mm-hmm. there's not always a- enough work in features to just only do features um mm-hmm. i'd say the closest comparison is some commercials have like the animation quality of of closer to a feature but some commercials are more tv based and just quick and dirty and so yeah, like mm-hmm. having that, being able to do that spectrum will definitely mm-hmm. help you and keep make you more valuable. Yeah, that's a great. This touches on. Sorry, we can wrap this question up soon, but I I just love like where this is going. Where something we talk about a lot is, and you touched on a little bit, Dan, too, with like just experimenting on your own early on and making sure this is something that really speaks to you and you want to do before you invest a ton of time and money in it. Is that uh, we think it's really important to be willing slash happy doing animation, even if it isn't necessarily like the project that yeah. you're the most excited about in the world. Like you need to be happy doing the craft, I think needs to speak to you even more so than the end product. Because sure. 99% of the time you have no influence <laughs> on the end product. And then also a large percentage of the time, the end product might not even be necessarily like, yeah. you know, what inspired you in the first place? You know, you have to be like, okay, doing an advertisement for underwear <laughs> as okay doing that as you would for, you know, animating on Kubo and the two strings or something. Yeah. Um, and there's definitely yeah. like, you get inspired for different things, but a lot of times the projects that the, the, the final product is not the most fun or like your, your, your favorite thing, but working on it is the most fun. Yeah, And then sometimes the product that's the most artistic and beautiful at at the end is actually the biggest struggle during it. And you're sometimes not actually enjoying it as much. So it it can go either direction. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, like, yeah, sometimes there is that fuel when you think like, oh, this will be on a theater screen and that can kind of (laughs) get you going. But uh, it's not always like a, a perfect case like that. Get that. I have one last question to squeeze in, which is um, 
I wanted to ask about mentorship and like, how was it learning on the job? And did you have any important mentors? And like, just, yeah, that's one aspect of breaking into the industry, which has been huge for all of us, I think. Totally. Yeah. Um, Three people come to mind right away. um, And that's while in, in school at SCAD, uh, Hal Miles was the stunt motion professor uh, mm-hmm. while I was there. And he used to do animatronics and stunt motion from back wow. in the day. He worked on like Terminator 2 and oh, a lot of cool, cool stuff. <laughs> um, nice. But yeah, he was super helpful for me for I was learning like puppet fabrication and mold making and set okay. building and a lot of like a lot of skills on how to make a, a, a more proper short film and all yeah different skill sets within stop motion and so that was something that helped me a lot my junior and senior year in mm-hmm. college and then my internship on robot chicken which was also between my junior and senior year mm-hmm. um and forest was the animation director on robot chicken and i remember i was doing some animation tests and his critiques on my tests were um, in some ways more informative than a whole class at school. Wow. And yeah. I just remember just like growing so much with the, the his eye on my work mm-hmm. and being able to improve that for the next shot. And then him trusting me with actual shots in the show. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, he was yeah usually um, instrumental. And then Brad Schiff at Leica. And so all these... <laughs> were like within a few years apart and but it was these points where it's like if you look at a graph of like your skill set it just like the sharp <laughs> like upward ticks of like yeah. oh you're learning a ton under Hal Miles and learning a ton under Saveland and learning a ton under Brad Schiff and mm-hmm. um yeah that was they were definitely yeah three instrumental mentors growing up or starting growing up in this industry <laughs> that's awesome all right, so our next question's a little heavy, but I think it's so interesting. <laughs> uh, we wanted to ask you, what's your least favorite part uh, of your job? I'd say stress. Um, mm. uh, once you're launched on a hero shot, especially in features, um, it feels like a tight rope act. Um, mm. Leica ideally wants perfection. And <laughs> that can be very scary. No big uh, deal. <laughs> yeah. like that's, I mean, Perfection. that's not what they're expecting every time, but that's their goal. And yeah. uh, sometimes, yeah, sometimes I have dreams where if my wife or I move or shifts in bed while sleeping, my brain wakes up just enough to track if it's going the right direction wow. or the shot yeah. in my head oh, or that it's easing in or out the right way. Um Oh, and that's when I'm like deep in a really intense shot. So yeah. it's not all the time. I luckily haven't had that for a while, but um, mm. it was definitely something where when it comes home with you, the stress comes home with you. That's where mm-hmm. it's probably my least favorite because I've grown to really appreciate the work life balance. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. something that I didn't necessarily have in the beginning of my career. Um that yeah like now i would say like being able to leave work and leave the Mm -hmm. your your mental stress or your 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 brain power that's working on that shot leave it at work and go home Mm -hmm. live your social life um i just think yeah that's something that 
can it's a good goal to have, but it's not always feasible. And yeah, but it's just, it can go the same way the other direction too, where it's like your personal life is stress mm-hmm. a stressor while you're at work. It can go both directions, but I'd sure. say that's probably the most yeah difficult part of the job is is that stress can really take over your brain, and mm. even your sleeping brain. that's right do you do anything to like alleviate that like or do you have any things that you go to like i don't know meditation exercise i've just started um with like the headspace app like doing some meditation um Mm. i i have jury still out if it's really helpful or not but it's (laughs) not it's not negative so it's at least net neutral um if not positive so um so yeah but that's not something i tried at the time like when i was having mm-hmm. that stress so gotcha. um yeah I, I yeah i don't i don't have a good tip for that but uh, <laughs> it's really like looking at the whole picture of your life and what your mm-hmm. goals are and it's mm. it's easy i shouldn't say it's easy but like oftentimes i found myself throwing all of me into the work or the animation mm-hmm or like the senior film and things like that, but it's that's not a sustainable way to live, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, you can do that for short spurts, but yeah, it's not yeah. It's, it's not something you can do forever in a healthy mm-hmm. way. I think we all feel very similarly, and also <laughs> similarly about how it's kind of an evolving skill and like goal to have work-life balance where you're constantly changing what you do to help yeah alleviate stress and create that balance or it's it's almost like a um seesaw kind of thing where you're constantly like adjusting and trying to keep things balanced but sometimes things really do tip one direction and then Mm -hmm. you have to reset and uh, yeah, that's that's definitely something we all feel. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really great. Definitely appreciate that honesty because it certainly is something that everybody deals with, like Katie said. Mm-hmm. Um, but next, we want to get to what are your favorite parts really? of your Why job? Why does Ben get the happy? <laughs> I get the freaking downer. Yeah, it's all like scary spiders and the worst yeah. part of the job. That's right. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, my favorite part is pushing the play button while I'm working on a shot. Um, when a mm. shot's going well in like, yeah, seeing it coming together as you're in the middle of it. Um, and, and afterwards, if yeah, just like the feeling when you're happy with a shot and you, you've completed it and you press play and, and kind of realizing like what you created. It's yeah, it's a very satisfying feeling that, is kind of probably what I got addicted to early on. <laughs> and yeah. it is still a very similar feeling like in current projects. Um, yeah. Like it's something cause you're going for one frame at a time, like looking at the minutia, it's the moment you like take that first step back and really kind of like look at what you've been working on and see all the little details come together. <laughs> that's awesome that's very cool do you have a favorite project you've worked on or favorite shots that stand out over your career yeah i'd say the box trolls was probably my favorite project to work on and oh, cool. a lot of that had to do with that point of my career 
because that one mm-hmm. I started as an assistant animator on. So I was doing a lot of testing of, of puppets and props before they went on mm-hmm. stage, then getting more shots. And then I was um, promoted to animator during that production and did a, yeah, started getting more meaty shots and awesome. did a lot with the mecha drill at the end, which was like this giant five foot machine. And um, it was definitely just like a, a turning point in my career and mm-hmm. also just like an exciting project to work on. And I met a lot of people that became good friends on that. And so as a project, that's that's a standout. Um, and then for shot, I'd say on Tumbleleaf, there was one that I know uh, uh, Ben Ben is a big fan of. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Maples, it's Maple's Sandstand, which was this, it's uh, insane. It's this, out of control. Sorry, I'll, 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 I'll let you talk in a second. But this shot yeah. is just like bonkers. Like it, it shouldn't exist. Like I, I love it, but it also kind of makes me angry watching this shot. Oh <laughs> um, yeah. So it was essentially it's this little this bear character in Tumbleleaf makes this giant like sand almost like um hotel uh, of sorts like a sand resort like it starts like they're making sand castles and then just like it's a big reveal at the end she makes this amazing sand structure and um it was 12 shots in the animatic but the director came up with the idea of like you know what i want to really just combine this into one shot <laughs> and so it's like one wow. big reveal <laughs> gosh and so yeah they worked with the, the moco operator to get a camera move and i helped kind of stage the puppets through and we kind of like that had a lot of back and forth between the director myself and the cameraman of how we were gonna like stage this and have the camera move but it could pause in different points to kind of showcase a different section of the set in a different moment um and then yeah so especially in a tv world that's really unheard of um mm. and yeah so it was um a one minute shot i was able to block oh that out <laughs> and, yeah wow. and uh some parts were on ones which also was unheard of in oh wow in um uh television i wouldn't say unheard of but it's rare and so yeah. so basically when a camera's moving to avoid the strobing effect um the camera needs to be on ones and you kind mm. of need to oftentimes animate the character on ones to keep up with that or at least um keep oh. an eye on that to know what's going to strobe if sense. it's like moving back in space and then you animate it forward and then it moves back in space when the camera moves Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like a mix of ones and twos and just one that like has there was a, a ton of characters in it like <laughs> she's going and revealing like in this next section and then like a eight clams jump out of the ground and hop onto the bar <laughs> and so get a cool. drink and <laughs> an octopus is like serving yeah. like drinks and then starts playing the ukulele and then a beaver yeah. makes a table and runs and jumps in the water it's and amazing literally as the shot goes on it's like a joke of like okay what would be like the most ridiculous thing to make this shot more complicated and it's like you said it's like okay yeah it's first just these couple characters now yeah let's have all these clams come jumping in and now what is this an octopus like bartender yeah. <laughs> it's like it really seems like they thought like okay what how could we make this as complicated as possible and i i give credit to the director drew Hodges for that because he does excite himself with like like let's just make it even more because this is the finale of the episode 
And it's a shot that he's convincing production. We want to put more time and resources into. So it is one that like you get, it's not the, it's not that average eight seconds a day shot that they budget. Mm -hmm. It is, this is a special case. And so it, it made it even more special to animate on that one. Um, and that was yeah a fun one to finish because um, on Tumbleleaf they would call like a big epic shot like a, a meatball here like a spicy <laughs> meatball shot and <laughs> at the end of that shot because it was a month shooting it um, they like <laughs> they cooked this like actual giant meatball and brought it to me with like a little oh, candle wow. and a glass of wine as like That's a little like so happy <laughs> yeah and so that was that was for. Many reasons, probably my favorite shot that I've yeah. animated. That's, that is, is that so the cool. one that led to the Annie Nom or yes. one of your Annie Noms? That's so cool. Gosh, if that doesn't do it, what would? <laughs> that was, I remember. Yeah, uh, you were robbed. Yeah, I remember being <laughs> yeah. at, at DreamWorks at the time and uh, I was sitting there with like a group of like 10 animators and I was like, oh, this is my friend Dan. Look at this shot he did. And we all watched it. And then it was just like silence. And you could hear a pin drop. And I think everybody was just depressed. And like, you know, we all felt like fake animators after that. Because it was just like such a cool shot. And although it's incredibly complicated, it just flows so beautifully. It's, you know, in a way that you don't necessarily think about how complicated it is. We have to post this in our show notes. Yeah, definitely definitely will. So, Yeah. yeah, big kudos to Dan for that one. That was incredible. Thank you. All right. So this next section is inside the animator studio, and we're gonna do we're gonna do a lightning round. We haven't done this section in a while um, right. because we haven't had time, but <laughs> we're excited. So this is the section where we basically kind of ask you a question. Uh, it'll be just like a fun question. I won't give you a preview because it'll be more surprising that way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah. So here we go. So Dan, what is your favorite drink? Uh, that would be a blue Hawaiian. Oh, blue which Hawaiian! Is not to be confused with the blue Hawaii. Um, oh. The blue Hawaiian oh. is rum, blue curacao. I probably pronounced that wrong. Liquor, pineapple juice, and cream of coconut. Yeah, sounds delish. Yeah, it's something that um, it just looks like a fun drink, and it is. But I got it in Hawaii. <laughs> Last year, um, Allison and I had our like baby moon there uh, before my <laughs> oh, daughter was born, oh. and um, yeah, it's just like it's delicious. Like I like pina coladas and fruity drinks, and uh, but <laughs> yeah. that that particular one is just like good blend of yeah the pineapple juice and coconut and the, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to great. figure out some pun for that so we can drink it. Next time. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so what is uh if if I ask for that? And somebody accidentally gives me a blue Hawaii. How will I know? What's the difference? Do you um, know? The blue Hawaiian is is more opaque because of the cream of coconut. It makes it a little, there's a, like a milkiness to it. Oh. Um, oh. As opposed nice. to the blue Hawaii, I think it uses like sweet and sour mix. Oh, okay. And gotcha. so it's more, it's more clear. Um, mm, and know. so I haven't actually had a blue Hawaii, but the blue Hawaii. Hawaiian, like the cream of coconut is a part of it that I like a lot. Nice. That's good. Those rum-based cocktails are are dangerous. They're so (laughs) delicious, but they're dangerous. Yeah, Yeah, they're fun. (laughs) Sure. Um, So, Dan, can you name a particular movie shot character or artist that inspires you the most? 
I know that's a tough one. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I'd say it's kind of a cheat, but um, while in production shot, like specific shots coming in by some of my coworkers are often what inspires me the most. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something where it's like while you're in the production like that is what you're focusing on like trying to nail these shots and then when you see one come in for approval that just like blows you away and it's like it's something because it's also inspiring because it is the same it, so that true. shot has some of the same goals you have so um, yeah it's it's something that that definitely like I feel a specific inspiration from mm-hmm. um and I'd That's say, so like, cool. artists, before like, before that, like, once I was starting to animate, Wallace and Gromit was super inspirational when I was getting <laughs> started. And, like, mm-hmm. just the, their style of, like, the way they do the brows and stuff and that, like, I noticed, like, pulling directly from for my early shorts. And, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, like, that's something that I didn't know too much about before I started animating. But it was one that, like, yeah, quickly inspired me right when I was starting. I love that. And I think that's very relatable to to all of us like working on a movie. It's so fun to see what other you know yeah. animators do and kind of steal yeah. steal from them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's a great answer. Um, so what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? This is a very <laughs> high bar for a question. <laughs> yeah, and I'm gonna disappoint you with my answer. Um, that's okay. Just <laughs> with the animation. Ease in and ease out. <laughs> yes, I'm only half joking because like it is something that it's such a simple early test, but it can really kill a shot if it just like looks like a character's moving and freezes. It looks like it can look like a yeah. mistake and take the audience out of it. So it is it is generally my point being that basics are something that are a part of every shot you will ever do. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's yeah, kind of just like pushing that point again of of <laughs> don't don't try to rush past them and and or dismiss them because that the way you just do that point A to point B with an ease in and ease out is exactly what you're doing with that arm when you make that that gesture yep. or the head when you like mm-hmm. bounce back and forth or um yeah yeah it's just it's something that is yeah. Uh, um, a foundation element of everything you'll do moving forward. So Dan, last question. Is there anything you wish you knew as a student or young professional that you now know? I guess, yeah, for for this, I would answer before going to like a private school to learn animation. um, This is more than just stop motion, just creative arts in general. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just be aware I know you've done a whole episode of it, but like, be aware of the cost, um, financial Mm. cost, time cost, Mm -hmm. but especially financial is just something that as an 18 year old, I couldn't even comprehend honestly what the private school would cost and how long it would take to pay off, um, especially at taking out loans and whatnot. So Mm -hmm. it's just wishing I kind of did more research in or or did the math of like look into what the job you want makes in the in like when you're graduating and and if that's something that is percentage wise based on what you're paying to go to school is that worth it um Mm -hmm. it's a tricky it's a very tricky situation um 
because like I would say like it the 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 cost of school isn't always worth it, but mm-hmm. at the same time I wouldn't change what I did. But mm-hmm. I do wish I was more informed going into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a yeah, really good okay. answer. Yeah. We've yeah, we have mentioned that, and I feel like that's so true. Yeah. It really cannot be stressed enough though, because I, I like what you said though, too, about like being an eighteen year old. It's such like an abstract, like I just remembered like, oh yeah, I have loans, like eh, it'll all work out. I'll have the job and that'll make money. And like, you know, the (laughs) realistically though, there are people who get out of school and they have $130,000 in loans and they're making $30,000 a year and they have to pay for rent and stuff. And you're just like, the math doesn't work out. Like you're never going to pay that back or you're not going to pay it back within less than 30 years. And you have to realize what it's going to be to you know be a 55 year old still mm-hmm. paying your student loans you know while trying to pay for the rest of life yeah um <laughs> to put it it's as hard enough without as possible the loans. it's hard enough yeah, yeah. like yeah yeah, yeah. yeah we should stable. um we should clarify because it didn't come up organically that like you absolutely don't need to have a degree to right. go into mm. stop motion uh, yeah. or animation and there are animators who went straight from high school and mm-hmm. um, were self-taught or uh, learned on the job. And that, that can happen. So yeah. it's absolutely like a path to think about when you're weighing different options. Yeah. And I remember considering that at the time as well as like, oh, I could take after high school, take a year off and just practice on my own mm-hmm. and try to get an internship. And honestly, I do believe that could have kind of become the start of my mm-hmm. Um, like career, but I definitely still wanted like that point in my life. I wanted to go to college, right? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like us, you met your spouse there. Exactly, <laughs> that's right. Savannah, to meet your love. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's the tip jar right there. Feeling, <laughs> feeling lonely? Go to you know. <laughs> Tip jar. <laughs> I, I love that. I love our sound effects things. We very high, <laughs> high budget. budget for that. Yeah. <laughs> so Dan, we would love a practical tip from you if you have one. Yeah. Um, basically, just even though as a stop motion animator, you're alone in your set with the puppets and you're working, that's the majority of your time. But no matter what, you are still making a project and collaborating with other people and your job does interact with all the departments. And the main thing is just learn to work well with others and Mm -hmm. be respectful and learn to communicate well and take, um, take direction. And it's basically, it's, it's, even if it feels like it's just you and a puppet, um, there's so much more to it and it is a Mm -hmm. a people industry and a people job and you're all working together. And that is something that uh, others will remember if you are difficult to work with on future positions. And Mm -hmm. it is something one to make everything go better on the project you're on, but it is also important for you moving forward in your career to make sure that uh, you work well with a team. That's awesome. That's Very well That's a great said. one. Yeah. It's not just you and those hot puppets. No. You know. 
that's awesome. What's what's the hottest puppet you've ever worked <laughs> that, with? Dang it, we need to oh, redo yeah. these things. <laughs> Top five hottest puppets. <laughs> Both the sisters in Cuba. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, so before we wrap things up here, we wanted to give Dan a quick opportunity to plug anything he would like, or maybe let us know how people can find him on social media and see what he's up to. Yeah. Um, I'm probably most active on in Instagram under at uh, MacMation. And also, yeah, MacMation.com was my site. So like generally I just use MacMation for <laughs> Twitter <laughs> and everything. Awesome. But uh, yeah, I'd say Instagram is where I post the most and am the most active. Awesome. awesome. Nice. So for anyway, we'll obviously link to that, but it's at M-A-C-K-M-A-T-I-O-N, right? It's, yeah, it's very clever. It's like the start of my last name. <laughs> it is very clever. If you find yourself chuckling when you type it in, you've it's correct. You're yes, you're on exactly. the right path. Yeah. <laughs> well, on the social media note, as we wrap this episode, you can also find the animation happy hour on Instagram. That's where we are most active. And I remember last time I couldn't even remember our handle, but it is at animation happy hour. <laughs> that is our handle. So follow us there. Uh, we have a, a newsletter actually that we mail out monthly with fun animation links and our, our current episode release as well as upcoming episode release announcements. And then you can follow us on our website, animation happy hour. Dot com. Uh, it always feels a little weird to end with this, but if anyone is so inclined, you can donate to the podcast and help support us. Uh, it does cost money to host our podcast. They're paying and- me so much. <laughs> Dan doesn't yeah, have cheap. Recruiting guests know. like Dan. Um, it was four-time Annie-nominated Dan. I mean, that, you know, <laughs> that commands a certain price. Um, so yes, you can find our tip jar. Uh, on our website and donate there. Alright, so that about wraps up the episode. This has been Garrett, Katie, Ben, and Dan. Thanks for listening and 